Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. This is Clint. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to get into what we're going to talk about today. We're going to wrap up the three-part series that we've been doing about the McPhersons and Clan Hatton. Just going to wrap up a few important details about that relationship. And then also there's included a story. So for those of you who are not as into the academic part of the nature of this podcast and you're just here to hear some cool stories about your ancestors or about the Scottish clans, even if you're not directly connected, then we've got something for you too today. So thank you for for chiming in here and <clears throat> excuse me, I'm doing this uh, doing this like usual after everybody's gone to bed. So uh, that's that's when I've got to do it, you know. And I hope that you be forgiving of my op tempo here. How often I put out content, I uh, I think I'm catching back up and getting into the swing of things. We dropped down to really bare minimum for a while, but. I can see good things on the horizon. I've got a lot of good content coming that I'm excited to share with you. And so I hope you'll stay with me and hear that. Uh, Before I get too far into talking about the McPhersons, though, a quick shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. Go on their their webpage, usakilts.com. If you want anything that has to do with wearing something that shows off your pride in your Scottish heritage... And it's not just Scottish stuff. They've got some Irish stuff in there and some Welsh. My my belt buckle that I've got on my kilt belt has the Welsh dragon because you know I've got to represent that part of the family too. And if you want to catch some great content, they are putting out some awesome content on YouTube. Go to their channel, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions, or just do a search on YouTube for USA Kilts and you'll find them easy enough. They just keep on putting out awesome content. So go there and try them out if you haven't already done that. All right, so let's let's talk about, let's just wrap up a few points. Hopefully you've been with me. If you haven't been with me for the previous two episodes about the McPhersons and Clan Hatton, I'd encourage you to jump back two episodes to part one and find the origin of of where does Clan Hatton come from? Where do the McPhersons tie into this this grouping of kindreds? Some of them related, some of them not. And and you can go back and catch it from the beginning and, and then catch up to here. Now, this isn't to say that this episode won't make any sense at all if you haven't listened to those. So if you're just like driving and you don't want to take your eyes off the road to go back and get the other two, then just keep on going with this one and catch the other two when you can. The the point that I want to make about the clan Hatton and McPherson, the relationship between the two of them, really it goes back to, I mean, just a quick note on the origin and where these come from to catch you up, just super brief. The, the McPhersons are part of what was called the old clan Hatton, the original kindreds, before the Macintoshes married in to this. And if you wanted to be super strict about the inheritance of the leadership of the kindred following down a male line, then the McPhersons represented the, the original male line leadership of the of the Hatton kindred re- ended in an heiress named Eva who married Angus Macintosh and the Macintoshes became the new leaders through inheritance through marrying in and it continued through a female side. 
the McPhersons would contest this leadership, claiming that, no, we are the representatives of the, the male line, in much the same way that the McFarlands would claim that they should have been the heirs to the earldom of Lennox. Same, same argument. This is interesting because it brings in other episodes that we've covered on succession. Do, do we, did the Highland clans do tonistry? Did they follow primogeniture more? Did they claim they followed one but really followed the other more? We did a, I did a couple of episodes on this uh, not too long ago. And one thing that's interesting, I do want to mention a really good source. In addition to the, the um, sources that I've mentioned in earlier episodes for this topic, which I included links on that in the show notes for the first episode. So if you want to dig in, if, you're, if that's a big deal to you, then go back to that part one of this three-part series and dig into the, the, the notes there, and I've got links to PDFs. Another source that I want to add into here is Alison Cathcart's Kinship and Clientage. It's a book. I it, it, If you're looking for it on Amazon, it, it, it's a cost a little chunk of money. I do believe I have an affiliate link for it on scottishclans.podbean.com under my sources site, or so, sources part of that website. But if you're looking for maybe a more economical way to do this, I actually accessed it through a library. So in that work, which I've, I'm i working my way through it now, and I've been, I've been after that source for a long time. I've been aware of it. And even after getting it from the library, it was a while till I've been able to get around to diving into it. I'm in the, still in the process of doing that, but I'm uncovering a lot of really cool things. And I will have an episode, maybe two, of just things I'm learning about Scottish clans. Her approach to what she does, she points out that in the historiography of the Scottish clans, there's a lot of tension of attention to the West Coast and Hebridean, Hebridean, however you say that, clans, the McDonald's and the Lordship of the Isles and all that over there, where there's less so much given to the Central or Eastern Highlands clans. And so she focuses on the Macintoshes and the broader Clan Hatton Confederation and the Grants of Fruchy. I, th- I think that's how you say it. I didn't look this up. Fruchy, somebody jump on and help me know if I'm pronouncing that right. But those two clans, the Macintoshes and the Grants, and she's looking at them and diving into their histories and, okay, what can their histories teach us about clanship in general? So, um, one thing that I've, I've read in her work there, and I can't remember what page it was on, but she points out that tonistry and primogeniture were not mutually exclusive systems. They weren't completely competitive with each other. So that's super relevant to our conversation we had a few episodes ago. Anyway, it, what I think the conclusion we came to back in those episodes was what's we're, what we're seeing now is they decided just what was ever best for the kindred and moved on from there. There wasn't... Um, there wasn't these hard lines drawn. No, we have to do it this way. We have to do it that way. Okay, so tying this back into the Clan Hatton and the McPhersons, when the Macintoshes marry Eva and inherit the leadership of the Hatton Confederation, and the McPhersons contest this, 
this did cause a, an interesting relationship between the McPhersons and the Macintosh chiefs. So where, whereas the other kindreds, like the Davidsons, who were part of the original Clanhattan kin group, while these other kindreds accepted the Macintosh leadership, the McPhersons did it maybe about halfway. They did not feel as as obligated to follow the Macintosh chiefs as these other kindreds did. They did at times when they felt like it was in their own best interests. At other times, they chose not to. And when they did show up on the battlefield or whatever thing else they were doing in, in concert with the rest of Clan Hatton, they did so with the feeling of they were doing it as allies, not as we are obligated to follow the Macintosh chiefs because we acknowledge him as our superior, like the other kindreds within Clan Hatton. If that helps you understand the relationship here a little bit better. And I've got some examples of this. So, the uh, and it, we're getting into the 1300s with some of these examples. But I think that the important is that the other kindreds did accept the Macintosh chiefs as their leaders. Some of these clans, now this Hatton Confederation grows over time. So when the Macintosh chiefs marry into and become the leaders of this kindred, that's in the 1300s, the second half of the 1300s. The, the uh, kindreds that were already a part of that confederation, this, this kin, kin group of Clan Hatton, they, they accepted that leadership. And I don't know if um, it mentions in Reynold McPherson's um, work that I've mentioned earlier that maybe that was because of Macintosh's close ties to um, the the throne of Scotland and that they were in favor at the time or or, or they just thought that Angus Macintosh was super competent that that had a lot to do with things maybe he embodied those characteristics that Highlanders looked for in a chief and if you want and Alison Cathcart discusses those qualities at length in the work that I've already mentioned by her. But anyway, the, the point is that they followed the Macintosh chiefs. At the end of the day, regardless of whether the McPhersons had a strong claim to be the, the leaders of Clan Hatton or not, either people are following you or they're not. And in this case, the people, the, the old Clan Hatton, they chose to follow the, the Macintoshes. Okay, so what are some examples of the McPhersons choosing to maybe we'll show up and maybe we won't. Maybe we'll follow the Macintosh chiefs and play along here, or maybe we'll just do our own thing, unlike most of the other kindreds within the Clan Hatton Confederation. One example of this is illustrated by the Battle of Invernahaven. The Camerons had come into Macintosh territory on a raid. Now, if you want more detail on the feud between the Macintoshes and the Camerons, that was one of my early episodes. So go back and look at my early episodes and you can find I lay that out a little bit more detail. But for here, suffice it to say that the Camerons come into Macintosh territory and they're on a raid. They're, they're rounding up cattle that are, and then they're heading back toward their own country with it. The Macintoshes, they 
rally up two of the major other con- uh, clan Cotton Confederation clans, the Davidsons and the McPhersons. And these three clans combined, the McPhersons, the Davidsons, and at the head of this group, the, the Macintoshes, they outnumber the Camerons. But the McPherson chiefs and, and the clan, they decide because Macintosh gave the honored right wing of the formation position to the Davidsons instead of them, they're just going to like, you know what, we're not playing along. And they just sat out. And, and I'll go into more details on that when I'm actually going to read that story to you just straight off the Wikipedia page. Now, that may or may have, it may not have led to the Battle of North Inch. I also did a whole episode on this battle, which was a battle of champions. The The whole clan, the, the, the full military strength of the respective clans were not present at the North Inch in Perth to fight. It was a hand-picked 30 men from each side. Now, there's some debate over who was on uh, who these two sides were. One version or one side will tell you that it was the Camerons versus a member, a select men from the clan Hatton, whichever different clans within that group that would have been. But another view of that, you know, who was in, involved here was that it's a fight between clan Rai, which I think is a very close pronunciation of the way you would say the clan Davidson in Gaelic, and the clan McPhersons, possibly being an extension of this disagreement they had at the Battle of Invernahaven over who would occupy the honored right wing position on the battlefield. I'm not here to tell you which one it was, and I invite you to dig in, study it out, and if you find a good answer to this, you can reach out to me on Podbean, you can reach out on um, the, the Facebook group that we have, which is now at about 15,500 members. It's grown huge. And just a quick thank you to my admins who help out with that. They do so much on there. And there's so many good posts, guys. If you haven't been on there, check it out. But if you do find an answer and you, and you um, post something on there about this, please make sure you tag me in it. Otherwise, I'm, it, it's very possible it'll slip by without me seeing it. All right. So that that dis, that discrep or the the conflict between the Davidsons and the McPhersons at the Battle of Invernahaven may have been may have been the carryover and the bat and what resulted in the Battle of the North Inch in Perth in the 1390s. Now keep in mind that's like 20 years later. I don't know. The McPhersons and the Davidsons were very, very close neighbors in Strathspey, in Upper Upper Strathspey. Um, It seems like a lot of time to go by to live that close to your neighbor. Like they were, the the place where these the two respective chiefs resided was, I mean, just a few miles apart. It really wasn't that far. Look it up on, on Google Earth sometimes. Um, and now another example, okay, so we've got the Battle of Invernahaven, we've got the Battle of North Inch, which has already got its own episode on this podcast, and the last example I'm going to give you of the McPhersons doing their own thing was the Battle of Harlaw in 1411, and I didn't realize this, but in the Reynold McPherson work that I've quoted earlier in, in the, one of the, the other two episodes in this series, 
um, he mentions that the McPhersons, and I didn't know this, but the McPhersons took this side. So if you don't know, the Battle of Harlaw was a fight for the Earldom of Ross. And it was a fight between a Stuart, very close relative, I think a brother of the current king, and um, the MacDonald Lord of the Isles, over wh- who's got the stronger claim to the Earldom of Ross. And the Lord of the Isles brings the full strength of the Isles. I mean, this huge army rolls through the area of Inverness, lay in waste, and en route to the vicinity of Aberdeen. And I think it was, it was the Stuart Earl of Mar. Um, I hadn't intended to give a layout of this, but I just realized that there might be some people listening to this who are not familiar with what the Battle of Harlaw was. Once again, this is 1411. And the, the Earl of Mar rallies the leading aristocracy of that area, of the eastern, eastern seaboard of Scotland, you know, around the Aberdeen area, and said, hey, our very existence is, is threatened. We need to go fight. Now, it's interesting because the historiography of this is often painted as um, it's a battle between lowland Scots-speaking people and the Highland Gales. Now, what we're seeing right here is the McPhersons took the side of the Earl of Mar against the Lord of the Isles, which means that he also took a side against the rest of Clan Hatton, which also means that the lines, the linguistic lines on who's choosing which side here are not as clear-cut. And that is a common thread that we're seeing through all of the episodes that we've talked about in this podcast, is that we always want to put the history, maybe with all history, maybe this is just a human nature. We like to put things in our tidy little boxes. And this, the Battle of Harlaw was not that tidy. And there were gales on both sides. Maybe there were Scots-speaking lowlanders on both sides, although I don't know. It seems like they were more clustered on the Earl of Mars side. Um, anyway, the McPhersons decided to do their own thing. They did not follow the Macintosh chief. They did not side with the rest of Clan Hatton, who was with the Lord of the Isles. They took the other side. It's very independent. So stringing those examples together, you got the Battle of Invernahaven, where they they choose to just sit out and let the rest of their Clan Hatton brethren, who are now outnumbered by the Camerons, to just eat it. The Battle of the North Inch, which may or may not have been a dispute settlement that traced back to the Battle of Invernahaven, and then the, Mac- the McPherson choosing the opposite side of the Battle of Harlaw. So d- that's the main thing I want you to understand about in, in this episode, is that the McPhersons become independent actors. What I'd like to do next is uh, give a, a little word to my sponsor a little bit more than I did at the beginning, but then I want to tell you the story of the Battle of Invernahaven. And this is the, the storytelling part. And I hope you'll forgive me if I just read the Wikipedia article to you. And if you want to dive farther into it and figure it out in more detail, then, then you're welcome to. <clears throat> USA Kilts. Guys, it's warming up, it's springtime, and I'm pulling out the kilt more often. Now, I have worn it in the wintertime, 
and they're actually a lot warmer than you you would think they are. Now I have the the five yard wool kilt, and so wool's a, a great um, material for conserving heat. And I just went out and I just threw the ball for my dog for a while, you know, with snow on the ground, and I wasn't as cold. Nearly, I wasn't even cl- like I was very comfortable actually. But it's warming up now, and this is the weather that we're looking forward to, to to go hiking, to be outside, and to really just express our pride in our Scottish heritage. And you know what? Maybe it's not a kilt you're after. Maybe it's something completely different. Go check them out at usakilts.com. They've got a ton of different stuff on there that you can wear to portray, to proclaim your your pride in your heritage or your pride in your interest. Maybe you don't have any Scottish heritage. And maybe you're just just super enthusiastic about Scottish heritage, and it has nothing to do with your ancestry. You'll have plenty of options to choose from on usakilts.com. Maybe if you do get a kilt, you've got all these questions about doing it right, doing it wrong, what do we do, how do you not wear it, what should you wear with it, what shouldn't you wear with it. Guys, they've got so much good content on their YouTube channel, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. I might throw in there that they do free shipping within the U.S., and they uh, their customer service is awesome. They treated me so well, and it wasn't just because I didn't get on there and sing their praises. They just they were just really good to work with, and I think they really take a lot of pride in what they do. They are passionate about it, and I, I'm very confident that you'll have a good experience with them and be happy with the product, whatever it is, kilt other stuff that that you like to to just say tell everybody hey scottish and proud also they like i mentioned earlier it's not just scottish stuff they've got some for there are other celtic brothers and sisters out there all right battle the battle of invernahaven really interesting battle interesting things going on here um the well like i told you i was just going to read it from here so I'm just going to start. It's not a super long entry for a Wikipedia page. Some of them have really long, like, oh, here's all these things that were going on, and they're, this is pretty short and to the point, so here we go. I'm just going to start at the top of the page where the text starts and just read down through the end. The Battle of Invernahaven was a Scottish clan battle between the Clan Cameron and the Confederation of Clan Hatton that consisted of... The Clan Macintosh, the Clan McPherson, and Clan Davidson. Some sources give the date as 1386, others as 1370. The background. During the chiefship of Lachlan Macintosh, 8th chief of Clan Macintosh, a feud had raged for some years with the Clan Cameron, apparently over the disputed lands of Glenlouis and Loch Arkeg. Each side had raided each other's lands, lifting property. The battle. In 1370, it is recorded in the Macintosh manuscript that around 400 Camerons made a raid into Badenoch, and when they were returning home with their captured booty, they were overtaken at Invernahaven by the Clan Hatton, who were led in person by the Macintosh chief. In the first engagement, Macintosh was defeated by the Camerons despite having a numerically superior force. This was apparently because there had been a dispute amongst, among the Clan Hatton between the McPhersons and Davidsons over who should have command of the right wing of their force, which was the post of honor. The Macintosh chief favored the Davidsons, and as a result, the McPhersons withdrew in disgust. 
Thus, with the loss of the McPhersons, the Macintosh's force together with the Davidsons was numerically inferior and was totally defeated by the Camerons. However, soon after the McPhersons rejoined the battle and attacked the Camerons, turning their victory into a defeat, the Camerons then retreated towards the pass of Dramachter, skirting the end of Loch Ericht, then turning westwards toward, towards the river Treg. In the author's introduction to the Lochiel mem- Memoirs, published in 1842, it is stated that the Macintosh chief had sent a man to taunt the McPhersons as cowards for not fighting the Camerons, which subsequently coerced them back into the battle. <clears throat> Excuse me. According to Lachlan Shaw, the leader of the Camerons was one Charles McGillany, who was killed in the battle. However, Alexander McIntosh Shaw states that this is contrary to the tradition of the locality that the chief of the Camerons, Donald Dewey, commanded in person. I think that should read Donald Dewey. Either way, I'm not a Gallic expert. The aftermath of the battle. According to Lachlan Shaw, the Battle of Invernahaven gave occasion to the Battle of the North Inch in Perth in 1396 that was also fought between the Clan Hatton and Clan Cameron. Alexander McIntosh Shaw also stated that it is highly likely that the combat at Perth had some connection with that at Invernahaven. Okay, that's, that's it. So just a couple points of interest. I always do this after I tell the story. Isn't that interesting? So they show up. There's a dispute. McPherson say, hmm, we don't get the position of honor? Okay, we'll see how you do without us. And it wasn't very well that the McIntoshes and the Davidsons did without them. An interesting point here that the McPhersons, let's pretend that they had been given the position of honor on the battlefield. They would have still been fighting under the leadership of the McIntosh chief. So it looks like at times they chose to subordinate to the McIntosh chiefs. So they weren't always at odds, competing with, and thumbing it at the McIntosh chiefs. Sometimes they were willing to play along. Now, looks like in this case there were conditions. I'm going to throw in a little extra information to plus up the Wikipedia article here as far as how did the McPhersons get back in the fight. There's I'm going to draw from the Reynold McPherson source on uh, what he says here is that the reason that the McPhersons decided to engage again with the Camerons was that the Macintosh bard pretended to be a Cameron, slipped into the Macin- or the McPherson camp and started taunting them as cowards. Now, the Wikipedia article says that, that they were taunted as cowards and then coerced back in the arm into the battle, but that it was the, uh, th- it doesn't say that it was the Macintosh bard, so I'm just adding that little detail in there. Um, I just think that's, that's an interesting element to the story, and that, so they decide to fight, and it was just the McPhersons now, who find the find the Camerons, overtake them, defeat them militarily after the Macintoshes and Davidsons had been beat up so terribly without the help of the McPhersons. Um, guys, I'm just going to leave it to you on, is, is that fair? Um, 
were the numbers with the McPhersons just barely more than the Mac the, than the Camerons, and without them, they were significantly less. The Camerons were able to have a a clear and decisive and really uh, bloody victory over the Davidsons and Macintoshes, whereas the McPhersons were able to catch them and defeat them by themselves. Um, just just some interesting details I think point out that, and I don't know what terrible difference it has over the the story as a whole and it's totally possible totally possible in my head i'm thinking well the mcintoshes take their place tactically on the battlefield with the assumption that the mcphersons are fighting and now with them gone they're it's their choice of place on the battlefield is horrible and at a, there puts them at a clear disadvantage whereas when the mcphersons catch the camerons and it's just the mcphersons versus the camerons they could have done so using a, a more advantageous terrain situ- situation. There's a lot of ways this could have worked out. And uh, I'll let you guys um, weigh in on this. Did Do you think that this is how it played out? Is this how it's, is this how it worked out? Anyway, kind of a, I always like hearing about the battles, and especially when it doesn't follow a regular pattern. You know, what's supposed to happen is, is the Macintoshes or the chiefs of Clan Hatton, and whether you're descended from old Clan Hatton, whether you're a branch kindred of the Macintoshes like the Shahs, or whether you're just one of the Hatton Confederation that has no kindred ties, no blood ties to the rest of the group. You just this was an advantageous alliance to make, and so you're going to fall in, and you've got your own chief, but. When it comes time to need and do something with this bigger group for protection, for some other advantage, then you're going to fall in. You're going to acknowledge the leadership of the Macintosh chief. That there's all these dynamics going on here, and I, I think it's really interesting to to see a, a a battle that illustrates these points. I always love a good story. Hopefully, you did too. In the future, guys, I've got some, um, I've got some. I got to give a shout out to Bruce Fumi over at Scotland History Tours. If you haven't been, if you haven't seen, this is a YouTube channel. He doesn't have a podcast that I know about. It's a YouTube channel, and but he's actually going on site. So he doesn't focus on clans quite as much as I do, but he's he's going on site to where whatever took place that he's talking about, usually broader more general Scottish history, although you can't get too far into that without actually talking about clans. He's mentioned me on his videos, um, and I'm going to give him a shout out here too because he shared with me his interview with Dr. Mark McGregor, which if you've if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you've heard me mention at length, or on, I should say, it's on several occasions, Dr. McGregor, and. They have a really cool conversation and just some awesome things shared. Now, if you want to see the whole conversation take place, which I'd recommend, you got to be um, a patron of Bruce Fumi and join that, and then you can get his links to what he shares with his his patron group. And uh, and he shared it with me. We've we've been doing some work back and forth, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna do an episode where I'm not gonna give you the, the that's that's his the link to that full interview. You gotta sign up with him, but I, he did give me permission to share some really huge takeaways that are super relevant to the conversation we've been having on this podcast. It's so so exciting for me. I was listening to this. I was listening to Dr. McGregor start unfolding some things, some things that 
I've had bumping around my head, but he articulated them so well. And he's, I, in my head, he's, he's got a lot more credentials than I have. He's, he's a professor. He's published. He's all these cool things. And, and I've, I've learned a lot from him in my quest to understand how Scottish clans worked a little bit better. And if I can bring that to you guys, especially if it's just a few main points, then that would make me happy, especially if it helped you understand your heritage better, or just if it's not your heritage, still Scottish history better. And so if you want to see that full thing, you're going to have to go to, uh, if you just go to YouTube and type in Scotland history tours, you can find Bruce's channel there. Also want to give a shout out to, um, to Mike over with clans and dynasties on his YouTube channel. Guys, we're these me them. We're not in competition with each other. We're we're all just super passionate about these this historical stuff, especially as it relates to Scotland. The clans and dynasties that Mike does it goes a little bit more into Ireland. Uh, he he does go back and forth across that Irish Sea a little bit, but uh, I would say definitely the focus is more on Ireland. He teams up with Phil over in Irish medieval history, and Phil Philip. I hope I hope you don't mind, brother, if I if I uh, didn't didn't catch that detail so well. But Irish medieval history is the YouTube handle. So yeah, just a, just really cool stuff on their channels, and then of course my sponsor USAKilts.com. Guys, if you want to tag in to some of these sources that I'm drawing from, I am posting them on my ScottishClans.Podbean.com website. Go on there, click on sources, and I've got links to the PDFs that I've been using. I download a lot of them off of archive.com. I've, I'm pulling stuff off of academia.edu. I've got links to stuff on there. It's a free membership on there. It doesn't cost you a dime. And then I've also got some affiliate links if you want to go to Amazon and actually get some of the books that I've been going off of. I told you about the points I want to share from Dr. Martin McGregor and Bruce Fumi's interview. I uh, I also want to share some things that I've learned, like I mentioned earlier, from Allison Cathcart's book, Kinship and Clientage. Also, I want to talk to you more about what I learned from the book, The Campbells, um, that I just, uh, it was just so, so good. Um, I was Stephen Boardman was the author there, and and there's just so many things I highlighted through there that I, wa- I was like, oh, I can't wait to share this with my with my podcast group. So good things to come in the future. I'm certainly not lacking for content. It's just in a busy life with a career, wife and four kids, uh, some other in- involvements. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot going on. So, but but it's important to me. I'm excited about it, and and hopefully I don't uh, I can keep this content out coming out because there's so many good things to talk about. I've got some other cool irons in the fire, but I'll wait till they actually become a reality before I share those with you. If you want to go on Apple Podcasts and leave me some love on there, please feel free to do that. Share this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, share this with people that you know love their their Scottish heritage. Uh, they've maybe got a Scottish last name and they just haven't dived into it. I meet a lot of those folks and uh and they could ch- with the amount of episodes that we have now, there's a pretty decent chance that you can find a specific epitode, ep- epitode, episode that relates to them specifically. Um, I one of my students is an Elliot. I was like, hey, I did some 
stuff on the borders. You know, I talked about that. You know, the Elliots were a border kindred. And um, anyway, it's cool. It's cool to meet these people and to know just just by know, knowing their last name, you there's a good chance you know some of their history. Now, don't get too wrapped around the axle about surnames. It's not every single person with the same surname in Scotland was tied back to the exact same ancestor. Don't get too wrapped around the axle about that, but there's a pretty good chance, and I've met a lot of people who actually have, they can tra- trace their ancestry back to the the place in Scotland where that clan was actually running running around. So, uh, yeah, I'd say, say at that point it's safe to safe to say that your surname's a good a good link to that clan so um it's just fun it's just fun to do this so many cool things to learn so i hope you've liked being with me today and until next time marshen levendrasta